here. Uh, before we transition to uh, a time where we can worship the Lord through some songs, I want to just give you a couple of quick announcements. The first is just a reminder that, uh, that we do still have the offering box in the back uh, just for uh, COVID uh, purposes and just to avoid uh, different hands touching the offering plate. That's why we're not passing the plate, but the offering box is in the back. So if you have tithe or offering, uh, you can deposit that in the back. And then the other announcements is with regards to uh, nursery and, and child care, and that is that uh, we've been kind of figuring out how that would work. And uh, for the time being, uh, we will have uh, child care and nursery for children up to, uh, from zero to three. Uh, and the reason is because uh, we just don't have enough staff. And part of it is due to just uh, people still feeling just uh, uncomfortable being uh, in the church, which we can understand. Uh, but because we have... Uh, we don't have enough staff to be able to, um, enough volunteers to staff two different rooms. Uh, we are, uh, we can only provide uh, child care for children zero uh, to three. And I think uh, we'll actually be starting that next week. So that's all the announcements I've got. And uh, we'll read our, our call to worship. Please stand for the call to worship. Our call to worship comes from two passages this morning. And I'll read the first. And it comes from Romans 5, 1 through 5. And it says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame. Because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through this Holy Spirit who has been given to us. And the second one comes from John 3, 16 through 17. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. And it is our glorious Savior who sits upon the throne this morning. So let's sing this song together. You are good. And you are good, you are good. When there's nothing good in me, you are love, you are love. On display for all to see You are light, you are light When the darkness closes in You are hope, you are hope You have covered all my sin And you are peace, you are peace When my fear is crippling You are true, you are true Even in my wandering you're my joy, you're my joy, you're the reason that I sing. You are life, you are life, and you death have lost its sting. And oh, I'm running to your arms, I'm running to your arms. The riches of your love will always be enough. Nothing compares to your embrace, light of the world forever reign. And you are 
everything I once held in. I count it all as lost. Sing this out. And lead me to the cross. I belong to Amen. Let's go to the Lord and spend some time in prayer. Holy Father, your word tells us that you are love. And that in love, you predestined us for adoption to yourself as sons through Jesus Christ. We thank you, Lord, for this love that you have lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. 
Lord, and we also recognize that this love is not a love that will tolerate our sins, but it is a love that targets our hearts and our souls and means to sanctify us so that we may become holy just as you are holy, so that we may become conformed to the image of Jesus Christ, who is our Savior. We thank you, Lord, because in love you have sent your Son to die on the cross for our sins, and also in love you have not left us to be drenched with our sins. But Christ has paid for every single one of our sins. Lord, we pray for our church. We pray that you would make us a people of love. Help us to be a people who love one another, a people who love Jesus Christ. We pray that in love and unity we would walk together and encourage one another and support one another and pray for one another and even correct one another when that correction needs to happen. Father, we pray for those in our church who, are, who, are, who may be sick, for those who are suffering emotionally or physically. Lord, we pray that you would remind them today, even through this service, Lord, that you are near to the brokenhearted and, and close to those who are crushed in spirit. Help them to not interpret their relationship with you by their circumstances, but help them to, rem to remember that your word says that yet they are united to you and that you love them. Father, we pray. We pray for the gospel missions of the world, God, in light of COVID, and we it just in, in thinking about the many ministries that have ceased, the many missionaries that are called back to their home because of COVID. Father, our heart breaks for those who still need to hear the gospel but have no one in their context to share that gospel with them. Our heart breaks for those who are, who are lay elders or pastors in other countries, in third world countries, who are needing people from other cultures to come and teach them the scripture so that they can feed their flock well. God, we pray for a time of normalcy, Lord, to where these ministries can continue, to where missionaries can go back into the field and proclaim their gospel. Father, we pray that that time would come soon and that when that time comes, that there would be a, a, a greater eagerness and a greater zeal and more and more people sent out for the sake of the gospel being proclaimed among the people of the world. Father, we pray for First Baptist Church of Hampton Falls, and we pray that your saints would be reminded of the love of God in Jesus Christ this morning. We pray for the staff. We pray for the pastors and elders of that church. We pray that you would help them and give to them all that they need to be ministers of the gospel to your people. Father, we pray for our country. We pray specifically for the city of Kenosha, Wisconsin. God, and we pray, Lord, for the people who are there. God, we pray for those who are, who are scared, who are terrified, 
Father, we pray that you may be with them. We pray that you would protect, that you would bring peace and stability. We pray that you would stop anyone, Lord, who would use these events for malicious intent. Father, we pray for, for churches in the area. I pray that you may give to them all that they need to minister to those who are hurting and broken, that they would be ministers of the gospel, that they would be a people of love, and that they would boldly proclaim the gospel of the love of God in Jesus Christ. Because the gospel is our only hope and salvation. And lastly, Lord, we pray for those who, who work in the areas of administration. Father, we pray that you may be with them and give them all that they need for each and every day, that the mind that they need to be uh, attentive to all the details. We pray for those, for those who are yours and work in these areas. Father, we pray that you would be with them and help them and strengthen them and give them the courage to proclaim the gospel and help them to be beacons of light in their context. Father, we thank you for all that you continue to do. We lift up these prayer requests to you, knowing that you hear us. And we pray also now the prayer that you, Jesus, have taught us to pray in your scriptures. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. So if you would please turn to John, Gospel of John chapter 17. John chapter 17, verse 24. So after spending some several weeks in this high priestly prayer today, we'll conclude this prayer. So John chapter 17, verse 23, or sorry, verse 24. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them, and I in them. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we, we come before you and knowing what your desire is, and that is that we may be with you where you are to see your glory. Help us to understand the significance of this passage. Help us, Lord, help our hearts, Lord, to, to yearn for that same desire that Jesus has for us 
that we may be with him, with you, Jesus, one day, and to be able to see the full manifestation of your glory, the glory of the only Son who died for us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So earlier this year, we, we put out a, a, a prayer booklet, which many of you have, uh, have seen and have uh, picked up. And we did this as a way to uh, encourage uh, one another to pray for one another, right? There, there's prayer requests that many of you have submitted. And uh, I'm glad to hear that many of you have uh, taken that up and have prayed. And if, uh, if for whatever reason you don't have one, uh, that we do have some in the back. And I would commend that to you to continue to pray for one another. And the thing about prayer is that uh, prayer gives you, at many times, not always, but can give you some insight into just what concerns people the most, what's in their heart, what are they struggling with, what are their, uh, their greatest desires and need. And what I, what I really like about John 17 is that John 17 is Jesus' prayer, and it gives us an insight into what Jesus cares most about. And he prays, and as we've been walking through this chapter, right, he, he prays that the church would be unified, sanctified, kept, and that they may see Jesus' glory. These things tell us what Jesus desires most from you and from me as God's people. And so as, as you continue to, to, to pray one for one another, I would also commend, you, commend to you this prayer as well to pray this prayer for God's people. Not only that, but in the New Testament, we have so many wonderful prayers that are just written for us. And these are, let's remember that this is, the scriptures are inspired by the Holy Spirit of God. So this is God's, the prayers of the New Testament are God's prayers, God's desire for God's people. So for example, right in the book of Ephesians, we have a wonderful prayer that says that God's people would be would be able to know the expansive and the all-consuming love of God in Jesus Christ. In Philippians, that you may abound in knowledge and in all discernment. In Colossians, a powerful prayer. That God's people may be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. So I think we would do well to also pray in the, in the same way that Jesus prayed for his church and that the apostles prayed for the church. So then here in John 17, in Jesus' high priestly prayer, right, we come to the end of, the, of this prayer and to Jesus' fourth prayer request on behalf of God's people. So Jesus' final prayer for his people is that they might see his glory. Right, we read that in the passage. And I think it's a fitting and even an intentional way to conclude his prayer it might even be intended to kind of uh, to coincide with Jesus' first prayer request, if you remember what that prayer request was, but that Jesus may receive glory. Jesus prays for his own glory. And so as Jesus is praying for his own glory, he's also praying that his disciples, his people, be also see his glory. So he's saying, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed, that intrinsic glory, the one that was mine, that is always mine, and the glory that comes to me through the cross that I'm about to endure, bring me that glory and also bring those whom you have given me to be with me where I am, to see that glory. It's a special, special prayer request. And to really understand, I think, the significance of this prayer request, I think it would be helpful to 
consider another passage in the Old Testament that's very similar to this request. So in Exodus, in Exodus chapter 33, verse 17, which I actually don't have up. In Exodus chapter 33, in verse 17, And the Lord said to Moses, This very thing that you have spoken I will do, for you have found favor in my sight, and I know you by name. Moses said, Please show me your glory. And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you, and I will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But he said, you cannot see my face, for man shall not see me and live. And the Lord said, behold, there is a place by me where you shall stand on the rock. And while my glory passes by, I will put you in the cleft of the rock, and I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will take my hand... And you shall see by back, but my face shall not be seen. Now, to understand, understand the significance of that passage, you also have to be familiar with and understand what happened prior to these passages, to what this, this conversation between Moses and God. And many of you, I think, are familiar with what happened, right? It's a tragic event of the golden calf. So God, right, redeems his people from slavery in Egypt, and they come to the wilderness, and they come to the foot of Mount Sinai. And Moses uh, ascends the mountain to commune with God, and he tarries. He is there for a long time, and the people down below get impatient. And then they come to Aaron and say, make us a God to worship, which isn't a strange request. I mean, people believed in God, believed in a God, and they wanted to worship God for what he has done. And so Aaron takes the gold jewelry from them, puts it into the fire, and fashions a golden calf and says, this is the God who delivered you from Egypt. Now, why a golden calf? Now, in Egypt, right, they came from Egypt. In Egypt, they worshiped a lot of gods, and one of the gods was represented by a bull. And also in the pagan nations in the land of Canaan, the land that the people of God were coming into, they also had a representation of one of their gods being a bull. But why a calf? Well, I mean, if you think of a bull, a bull is, uh, this is just pure speculation, but I mean, a bull represents strength, a ferociousness. But a calf, on the other hand, a young calf, well, it's accessible. It's friendlier. You can tame it much easier than you can tame a bull. And so this is the God that they intended to worship. And after the idol was fashioned, the people began to throw a great party and begin to worship it. And then God, of course, who sees all things, knows that this is happening. He sends down Moses, and Moses comes down, and immediately the festivities stop. And then it tells us that 3,000 people were slaughtered because instead of siding with Moses, these people continued, they wanted to continue to worship this false idol. And not only that, to make matters even worse, God also sent a plague into their camp after this. And what's even worse is that God decided that he will no longer walk with his people. 
into the promised land. Instead, he intends to send an angel before them. I will no longer walk with the stiff-necked people, meaning an unbelieving people. I will send my angel before them. I will keep my promise to them to bring them into the promised land, but I will not go with them. But Moses, he intercedes on behalf of the people. He goes up into the mountain and pleads on behalf of the people. And he's successful in relenting God from dispensing his full wrath upon the people. And he's also successful in even persuading God to, to recommit himself to his people, that, they, that he may continue to go with them into the promised land. Now in Exodus 33, verse 12, Moses said to the Lord, See, you say to me, bring up this people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. Yet you have said... I know you by name, and you have also found favor in my sight. This is what God says to Moses. Now, therefore, if I, if I know you, now, therefore, if you, if I, sorry, I keep losing my place. Now, therefore, if, if I have found favor in your sight, please show me now your ways that I may know you in order to find favor in your sight. Consider, too, that this nation is your people. And he said, my presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. And he said to them, if your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not in your going with us, so that we are distinct, I and your people, from every other people on the face of the earth? Right? This is Moses interceding on behalf of the people. And then right later, God says, I will do what you ask of me, because you have found favor in my sight. So even though the people deserved the full judgment of God for worshiping a false idol, instead God shows them mercy. Why God is good, not because the people are good, but because Moses interceded on their behalf and Moses found favor in the sight of God. Moses, in a, in a way, became the, the apple of God's eye. And knowing this, knowing Moses, knowing that he had found favor in God's sight, he then asks Please show me your glory. Moses is asking the Lord to remove the veil that covers him in mystery. That the Lord will reveal himself to him in a more intimate way than, than, he, was, than he has already experienced. But the Lord says that no one can see his face and live. C.S. Lewis wrote a fictional story called Till We Have Faces. And in it, there's a... a, a woman named Psyche who is wedded to a god, but the god is, always has his face covered. Now, Psyche's sister is convinced that this is no god, that this is somebody who has drugged her, who has persuaded her, who has convinced her that this is a god, but this is actually some false guy, some bandit. And because otherwise, why would he hide his face? What is he trying to hide? The man actually might be hideous in appearance, so she convinces her, she actually she forces her to take a lantern into the middle of the night while he is sleeping and shine it on his face, and she does. And the moment that she does, she shrieks. She gives this loud scream, not because the person behind this veil is hideous, but because the man behind the veil is actually beautiful and wonderfully glorious. And she's kind of had this, but I think this Isaiah moment where, she behold, where Isaiah beholds the Lord and he says, I am, an un, I am undone. 
She realizes her mortality. She realizes that she cannot measure up the glory of this person. And so God, not wanting to reveal his fullness to Moses, was actually a protection. You have found favor in my sight. And if I displayed to you more than what I've already revealed to you, you would die where you stand. Or because none of us can ever measure up to the holiness and the glory of God. God is not this approachable and tameable person or God, like perhaps the people try to communicate in the fashioning this golden calf, but God dwells in unapproachable light. God is holy and God is glorious. He is full of splendor. And yet, Exodus tells us that Moses, that Moses enjoyed a relationship with God where he spoke to God as a man speaks to his friend face to face, metaphorically speaking. So Moses had access to God, but not for full access. Instead, God says, I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name. So in this way, we see the glory of God in Christ. When Moses asks to see the glory of God, God responds by showing him his goodness. The goodness of God is the glory of God. The goodness of God is his benevolence, is his mercy, is his care, is his grace, is his forgiveness. The goodness of God is also his justice and his righteousness and his also not letting the guilty go free. And this is what we come to understand about the goodness of God in this tragic event about the golden calf. God wanted to show Moses the glory of his goodness. So then if the glory of God is his goodness, then that would make Christ the Mount Everest of God's goodness. Because the goodness of God is no more gloriously and vividly displayed than the cross of Jesus Christ, who is our Savior. So in a way, God has answered Moses' request to see his glory, though not in his time, but he's answered it in our time because we see the glory of God in the gospel of Jesus Christ. We see the goodness of God in the gospel. But the glory of God or the glory of Christ is still veiled. Even in the gospel of Christ, we don't see the fullness of of Christ's glory. The disciples who walked with Jesus for three years did not see the fullness of Christ even though he was a man who was with them face to face. That is why Jesus prays that they may be with me where I am, to see my glory, the full manifestation of my glory. It's a wonderful prayer that he prays on behalf of his people. I mean, whether you are here this morning or happen to be watching via live stream, right? if you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, Jesus in this prayer makes a distinction between those who are his and those who are not. And he actually, in the prayer, he prays specifically for his people. And he says, I do not pray for the world. It's not that he doesn't care about the world. It's not that, it's not that he takes pleasure or delight in the perishing of the wicked. Right? The, the scriptures tell us that he takes no delight in such things. But he is specifically praying that his people would be with him where he is to see his glory. 
those who are not joined with Jesus to see his glory will see another side of Jesus Christ, and that is his wrath because of sin, because of faithlessness. And that is why you must turn to Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, to trust in him, to follow him, because then, only then, will this prayer be applied to you as well. Jesus will also be praying that you also be with him, to be with him where he is, to see his glory. By trusting in his forgiveness of your sins and turning from those sins and turning to Jesus Christ, then you also will see that glory one day. Those who have believed in Jesus Christ, those who are given to the Son, want to see his glory and they want to be with him where he is. And it's not this, and it's not a vain, glorious prayer. It's not this prayer that is tended to sound uh, boastful or arrogant, right? It's no different than you wanting somebody to be with you to uh, celebrate some achievement that you have accomplished. Right? When I was, doing, uh, when I was in, uh, doing youth ministry, whenever we had somebody uh, graduate from high school, we would try to get them to get all as many tickets as you can because we wanted to get a whole bunch of people there to go with them. And so when we did, we would make all these signs, these huge signs, and then we would go in there to the auditorium with like 20, 25, maybe even 30 people. And then as soon as the, as soon as the, uh, the, uh, the graduate's name was called, he was up on the stage and receiving his diploma, we would all stand up, hold up our signs. We were like the loudest people in the auditorium, probably even obnoxiously so. Right, but we wanted to be with them, to celebrate them, to celebrate with them. Right, it's the same way with Jesus Christ. He wants his people to be with him where he is, to celebrate him, to glorify him, to praise him, to worship him because he's deserving of it, because his glory is his, because he's also died on the cross for our sins and guaranteed to us salvation and eternal life with him. So we want to be there where he is, to see the full manifestation of his glory. Jesus is praying that we would be there. And that prayer includes our coming into a relationship of love. A love that, that is there between God the Father and God the Son. Because the Father loves the Son, the Son can be confident that his prayer is heard and will be answered. Because the Father loves the Son, the Father will glorify the Son, and bring the elect to behold that glory with Jesus Christ. Moses, in the glory of God, points to the glory of God in Christ. And lastly, this leads to union in the glory of God. Verse 25 O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known, that the love with which you have loved me may be in them, and I in them. When Moses requested to see the glory of God, God responded by making his goodness pass before him and by proclaiming his name to Moses. Christ has manifested his name God's name to his disciples. The knowledge that they now have imparted to them by Jesus Christ himself is a knowledge that separates them from the rest of the world and become enlightened to who God truly is in Jesus Christ. 
in a way that the world cannot experience apart from Jesus Christ. And after his departure, Christ intends to continue to communicate to his people, to make known to them the name of God and bring them into further understanding of who he is. That Moses communicated with God as a person communicates face to face, right, as you might with a friend, that he was shown the goodness of God and that the name of God was declared to Moses in that moment reflects the depth of intimacy that God and Moses enjoyed with one another. Christ will continue to communicate with his people in order to maintain the intimacy that he has with you and with me. Right, he does this through his word. He does this through the encouragement of the saints. He does this on Sunday mornings. He does this through the words that we sing on Sunday mornings. It's an all in order for many purposes, but one purpose is to continue to maintain the intimacy that we have, that we ought to have with the Lord Jesus Christ. And this all happens through the indwelling Holy Spirit of God. So even though the Spirit is not mentioned here in the high priestly prayer of John 17, it is still very much a Trinitarian prayer. Because this prayer is not possible without the abiding Holy Spirit in each and every one of those who follow Jesus Christ. Christ wants the love that he receives from the Father to be in you, and he himself in you, and you in him. And that only happens through the Holy Spirit of God, and the Spirit of God that, right, that unites us to Jesus Christ. And there's a union of love. It's through union with Christ, through the Holy Spirit, that these prayers are answered. Christ prays for unity that you may be united to one another, to the body of Christ, to God the Father, and to Jesus Christ. And that only happens through the Holy Spirit of God that unites you to Jesus Christ. Christ pays for your, prays for your sanctification, the sanctification of God's church. That first happens when you believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ, when you are separated unto God to be used for him, for his glorious purposes, and conform to the image of Christ. That only happens through the Holy Spirit of God. Christ prays that the, the church be kept from becoming lost to the world and to the devil. And that only happens when we are united to Jesus Christ through the abiding Holy Spirit of God. Right? And we will never see the glory of God unless we are first united to Jesus Christ through the abiding Holy Spirit. However, what ties this entire prayer together is not the Holy Spirit. It's not even our union with Jesus Christ. But it's, but it's love. The love of God in Christ is what grounds the entire prayer. Those who are loved by God are made one with Jesus Christ, sanctified in Christ, kept in Christ, and will see the glory of Christ and will rejoice in that day. And God will make these things so because the Father loves the Son and will glorify him. In Romans chapter 5, I read this earlier in our call to worship. Romans chapter 5, verse 3 tells us, Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance. Endurance produces character. And character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. For while we were weak, 
but we were still weak at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person. Though perhaps for a good person, one might dare to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. May the words of Romans chapter 5, may the words of this prayer in John 17 obliterate any doubts that you might have concerning God's love for you. As you think about the depth of intimacy that Moses enjoyed with God, even though it wasn't a, this full restricted access, and com- but then he compared that intimacy that Moses had with the com- intimacy that we now have with Jesus Christ, a greater intimacy than Moses could have ever even imagined or dreamed of. But that's available to us. May this not only bring you to reflect on the love of God for you, but may this also cause you to bow and knees and worship God for the love that he so vividly displayed through his son, Jesus Christ. Instead of making his glory pass before you, as he did with Moses, God instead infuses his goodness into your life through the love of Christ. It's so easy to live our lives based on our emotions, right? One day we can wake up and feel fine and great and ready to tackle the world. The next day we might wake up discouraged for whatever reason. Somebody just has to say something. Something has to happen in our life that can turn a bright day into just a gloomy day. We go through ebbs and flows. Sometimes life can seem like a roller coaster and even bring us to a point where we might even wonder where God is and whether God loves us. But just know that Jesus is praying for you. Jesus is praying for his church because he loves his church, because he loves his people. The Lord Jesus is praying that you may be kept from becoming lost to the world and the devil. The Lord is praying that you may be sanctified and conformed to the image of Christ. The Lord is praying that you may be united to him and to one another. The Lord is praying that you may be with him one day to see his glory. That is how he prays for us. And I would encourage us to to adopt this prayer as our own, to pray for one another in this way, to pray that for our own lives. And yes, this prayer can be applied in the sense of, like, of Jesus praying this individually for each and every one of you, but this is a corporate prayer. This is a prayer that Jesus prays on behalf of God's people. I think it would do us well to pray this prayer as well for ourselves. Not only that, but to also walk in step with that prayer. Right, if Christ's prayer is that, the, if the, is that the church be sanctified, then let us also walk in that sanctification, pursuing the holiness that God requires of us and helping one another in our sanctification. That happens when we meet with one another, when we encourage one another, when we are transparent with one another and even share struggles and sins. Right, It's not that you should... Not that the Lord's calling you to do that with every single person in the church, but even just one or two other people. You can pursue that sanctification with, in a transparent way. The Lord prays that the church be united, 
right? Are we walking in that unity? Are we maintaining that unity? Right? We talked about this at length last week. And just bearing with one another as Ephesians calls us to do. Be patient with one another, to love one another, to pursue one another. And to have those difficult conversations because maintaining relationships, right, isn't easy. But the Lord calls us to maintain that unity. The Lord prays that we may be kept from becoming lost. We keep one another when we are in fellowship with one another. We keep one another. We help each other be kept in the love of God when we encourage one another to follow him, to obey him. We encourage one another. We strengthen one another through our prayers and with the words of the scriptures. And we encourage one another to look forward to the day when we get to see the Lord Jesus Christ in the full display and manifestation of his glory. When we do life together and walk with one another and encourage one another to continue to persevere through this difficult life and run the race with endurance till you cross that finish line. The goodness of God is displayed in the glory of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is our Savior. And in Christ, we see the incredible love of God for us. So may we pray this prayer. May we walk in step in this prayer. Right? May our hearts desire also, may that be to one day behold the glory of Jesus Christ. To celebrate him, to worship him, to praise him. Because he's worthy. Heavenly Father, we, we know that we are a sinful people. And yet you have saved us through Jesus Christ. If we ever question that love, Lord, we lead only to look to the cross. We thank you, Lord, because this love does not only redeem us, but this love also compels us to become more and more like Christ. May we pursue that, Lord, and may we also help one another to pursue Jesus Christ and pursue that sanctification, to pursue that unity, to protect one another from the world and the devil, that we would encourage one another to press forward and press into the kingdom until we enter into that kingdom one day and see Jesus Christ face to face. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please stand for worship. How deep. How deep the Father's love for us. How vast beyond all measure that he should give his only son to make a wretch his treasure. And how great the pain of searing loss. The father turns his face away. As wounds which are the chosen one Bring many sons to glory
Behold the man upon the cross Thy sin upon his shoulders Ashamed I hear my mocking voice Call out among the scoffers It was my sin that held him until it was accomplished His dying breath has brought me life I know that it is finished And it is finished, oh It is finished, oh I will not boast in anything No gifts, no power, no wisdom But I will boast in Jesus Christ His death and resurrection Why should I gain from His reward? I cannot give an answer, but this I know with all my heart. His wounds have paid my ransom. I will not boast. I will not boast in anything. No gifts, no power, no wisdom. But I will boast in Jesus Christ, His death and resurrection. And why should I? Before we sing our last song, there's one scripture that the Spirit brought to my mind before we sing it. What then are we to say about these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He did not even, he did not even spare his own son, but offering him up for us all. How will we, he not also grant us everything? Who can bring an accusation against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is the one who died, but even more who has been raised. He is also at the right hand of God and intercedes for us. Who can separate us from the love of God? Can affliction or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, because of you, we are being put to death all the day long. We are counted as sheep to be slaughtered. 
No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Higher than the mountains, sing this out, church. And higher than the mountains that I face, stronger than the power of the grave, constant in the trial and the change, this one thing. This one thing. Sing this chorus out. You know this. You love. And 
God show us this love. It seems most appropriate to read Romans 5 once more. For while we were still helpless, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one, for someone will rarely die for a just person. Though for a good person, perhaps someone might even dare to die. But God proves his own love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. How much more then, since we have been declared righteous by his blood, will we be saved through him from wrath? For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, then how much more, having been reconciled, will we be saved by his life? And not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received his reconciliation. Brothers and sisters, go forth, pursuing your relationship with the Lord, because you have been reconciled to him through the blood of Jesus. You are dismissed until we return again, Lord willing.